I like uh, new starts. I like to have a tidied desk, though it rarely is. Uh, I did tidy my desk up this week. Perhaps I get the prize in the uh, church office for having the tidiest desk at the moment. This one's not my desk. My desk is not quite that tidy. But I like new desks. I like having an empty inbox. Uh, I like getting a new pair of running shoes, unboxing them, taking them off, and your feet slip into them, and it feels like you're running on clouds. I like new starts, but... I don't like throwing out the old. I get a little bit attached to the old thing. I've still got my running shoes that have got about 1,500 kilometres on them and I retired them three years ago. Though I did pull them out a couple of weeks ago to mow the lawn in them, I just can't bring myself to throw them out. I'm someone who keeps old things in the garage because I might be able to use it again. Uh, Yesterday I couldn't find our outdoor broom, but I found two old brooms that had snapped in half and a bit of another aluminium tube, and with an electric drill and some gaffer tape and half a dozen cable ties, I made two new brooms out of the bits that were still lying around uh, in the garage and up the side of the house on that side and up the side of the house on that side and um, things that are above wardrobes. And uh, You can always use something sometime. Perhaps you keep the old as a spare... I've had to migrate to a new laptop. I bought it a week and a half ago. It took me a week to actually turn it on because I didn't really want to let go of my old laptop. It had problems, but things were how I liked it. And um, I actually replaced that laptop five years ago and I've still got the laptop from five years ago which sits underneath my desk with all the other cables and cords that you need to do it because sometimes I need to go back onto that laptop. It just does the thing that I want it to do. And so now, yeah, this looks like my pile of laptops. One just doesn't do everything. Uh, My motto is perhaps a little bit like this. In with the new, keep with the old. This is not how Jesus operates. This is what we see in John chapter 2. Jesus smashes this ideal. When Jesus arrives in the world... His mission is in with the new, out with the old. Jesus brings something new. In chapter 1, which we looked at last week, chapter 1 sets up monumental expectations of who Jesus is and what he will do. The Word of God who was God and is God, who was with God in the beginning, rolls up his sleeves and comes into the world to bring light and life and glory and grace and truth. And the reason that the Word of God can bring all those things with us is because with his sleeves rolled up, he deals with the mess. He deals with the mess of sin. Jesus... And what he does for us, it is monumental, it's life-changing, and it's life-giving. It's the hope of life as it should be. Remember when John and Jesus talk about life, they're talking about life that is good, 
life that goes on forever and life that starts now. John is writing so that we know this life. Remember we're highlighting chapter 20 verse 31? These things are written, John says, what I am writing down, I've written down it, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now chapter 2 covers two events that expand our picture of this new life. And at the same time, they show us that this new thing that Jesus brings in, this this new life, is inconsistent with what is old. In with the new, out with the old. The first event takes place at a wedding. Lots of hard work goes into weddings. Lots of hard work goes into wedding celebrations. Behind the scenes, there's all kinds of ingenuity and tricks to keep the main event seamlessly in full swing. Something will almost always go wrong at a wedding celebration, doesn't it? Many wedding celebrations are held together by hidden gaffer tape and safety pins. Well, this wedding that Jesus is invited to strikes disaster. They've run out of wine. Now Jesus' mum expects that he can do something about the wine problem. But Jesus hesitates to get involved. Verse 4, Jesus says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Why the hesitation from Jesus? Jesus' mum, Mary, expects that Jesus can do something about it. Jesus would certainly know that he can do something about it. He is the Word of God. He is the one through whom all creation came into being. He could fix this wine problem with a word. But he hesitates. Why? Well, John tells us in verse 11 that this will be the first of Jesus' signs. The NIV translates it as miraculous signs, but the emphasis is to be on the sign, not on the miraculous. Jesus' signs reveal his glory. They show who he is. Jesus' signs show that he is the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus' signs show that he is the Son of God. And what Jesus knows that Mary doesn't yet know is that with the realisation of who Jesus is will come rejection of Jesus. As Jesus does his signs and people start to realise who he is, they will reject him and this is what will bring about his death on the cross. And Jesus says it is not yet time. It's not yet time for people to see the signs. It's not yet time for him to be rejected. It's not yet time for him to go to the cross. Time is a very important word in John's Gospel. Twelve of the times it appears, it's referring to Jesus' time at the cross. And Jesus says, it is not yet time. So Jesus keeps this sign hidden away in the catering tent out the back. Not many people know that in goes the water 
and out comes choice wine. Lots of it. Around about 600 litres of it. The wedding disaster is averted. And while the reception host, the groom and the guests, they appreciate this choice new wine, the disciples put their faith, they believe in Jesus. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory just to an inside group. And his disciples believed in him. See, this is more than a caterer's trick in the background of a wedding to keep the celebration going. This is is more than a miracle. This is a sign. Now, where is the sign pointing us? Well, in the Old Testament... The expectation of the new age that God's Christ, that the Messiah would bring, this new age was represented by images of abundant new wine. These are some verses from the prophet Amos. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the ploughman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. We've got this image of abundant new wine being a picture of the new age when God gathers his people. The wedding wine in John chapter 2 is a taste of the new age of life and salvation that the Christ Messiah brings. The disciples see the sign and they put their faith in Jesus. John writes so that we might do the same. Are you seeing? Are you seeing that there's evidence here that Jesus is the Christ? Jesus is the Son of God. Others round about Jesus, as they start to see the signs, they will not all like what they see. Because with Jesus, it's in with the new and out with the old. Did you notice what Jesus uses as the wine crafts? Jewish ceremonial washing jars. These were important in the life of everyday Jews, God's Old Testament people of washing and cleansing themselves again and again and again, dealing with sin ceremonially so that they could relate to God. Jesus takes them and uses them as wine carafes, pointing forward to the new age wine. You see, the new age that Jesus brings is so monumental, you cannot hold on to the old way. Now, this is what's going on at the temple. 
The heading in our Bible says, Jesus clears the temple, Jesus smashes the temple. The temple is a symbolic place of God's presence with His people through the Old Testament. There was a tabernacle, a tent, a tent of meeting. As God's Old Testament people were wandering around the wilderness, remember Moses, there was a tent that was built that was the symbolic place of God's presence. God had given His people a sacrificial system uh, given to set out boundaries so that sinful people could have a relationship with a holy God. The tent was eventually replaced with a grand temple. Now, the new age looks forward to sin being dealt with once and for all so that God might actually dwell with His people. These are the kind of things that sit in the background of the temple that Jesus walks into in the first century. Now, what Jesus sees when He gets there is a temple that has become a first century 7-Eleven. You see, you had to bring a sacrifice to the temple to deal with sin. But you didn't want to have to drag up your sheep, your goat, your bull, everything like that from wherever you lived round about because you had to go to Jerusalem from all over Israel. So the temple had kind of a convenience store set up around the outside where you could come and you could actually buy whatever sacrifice you needed. But because it was in the temple the religious leaders decided that they would insist on a particular type of currency being used that you couldn't use anywhere else. So when you got there, first of all, you had to go through the money exchange, like the ATM in the the 7-Elevens. You've got to go and get the right money out of the ATM. They had to go there and get the right money that you could then buy your sacrifice with so you could take it into the temple to have the priest sacrifice it on your behalf. You ever used an ATM in a 7-Eleven? How much of a fee do you have to pay? Well, I think they're being removed right now. Well, you had to do the same in first century temple. You didn't just have to go to the, the money changer to get the money. You'd have to pay a tax on the money changing so that you could get the right currency so that you could buy the right sacrifice to take it in there. The temple had become this first century 7-Eleven. Now, Jesus is not just upset about the noise, the upset about the chaos, upset about doves. He's not not upset about noise in religious buildings or that kind of thing. What Jesus sees amidst the chaos is fake religion, thievery, barriers that stop people from engaging with God and worshipping Him. Jesus sees all that and He literally turns it upside down. He smashes right through it. See verse 16? To those who sold doves, He said, Get these out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Now, there's something really big going on here. Jesus is not giving us instructions uh, for how to be quiet or reverent in church. Uh, I've been part of churches that never conducted their annual congregational meeting in the church building because we would never talk about money based on a passage, a wrong understanding of a passage like this. This is not down in the nitpicky details that Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing something much bigger. Jesus is smashing. Jesus is bringing in the new out with the old. The disciples realise that there's a parallel here with King David uh, in Psalm 69. And we actually have an echo in verse uh, verse 17. We looked at Psalm 69 back in uh, January. Um, uh, Psalm 69, we see there that because of King David's zeal for God, because of his zeal for worship of God, 
David is rejected by the people round about him. The same is going to happen here for Jesus. See verse 18? The Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign? Sign, sign, sign. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? They want another sign. Well, they want a sign, they haven't seen one yet. What will this sign be? Verse 19, Jesus says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, verse 19, my eyes have lost it, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. This is Jesus' sign. Now the religious leaders think Jesus is talking about the temple building, but Jesus is talking about the temple of his body. And so John adds this side note about Jesus' resurrection and the belief of the disciples. Verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. I missed 21, didn't I? The temple he had spoken of was his body. And when, the, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled that. And again, believed, believed, believed. Jesus is saying and showing that he is the new temple. In Jesus, it's in Jesus that God dwells with his people. Chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, pitched his tent, templed among us. Uh, Later on in John chapter 14, verse 6, John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm sure you know it, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one dwells with the Father. No one has access to the Father except through me. Jesus is the place where sin is dealt with. Jesus is the place where God and humanity meet. This upsets the old way. You see, the old way wants a domesticated Jesus. The old way wants a Jesus that fits in the box of their nice, neat system. The the old way wants a domesticated Jesus who will maintain the status quo. A domesticated Jesus who will keep the peace. A domesticated Jesus who will never make us feel uncomfortable. A domesticated Jesus is trimmed down and massaged into something that suits us. You know, like a religious charm that might sit on the dashboard of somebody's car where they feel like they're safe because it's there. It's nothing more than having a bobblehead novelty Jesus who travels along with us in our, our blinkered existence that he in some way just gets us through each day and we feel a little bit better about ourselves. Yet who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing is so much bigger, it's monumentally bigger. You see, with Jesus, our existence 
With Jesus, our faith, with Jesus, our worship, with Jesus, our service is all projected into eternity. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, the second last chapter of the Bible. John wrote his gospel around about 85 AD, about 50 years Sorry, about 30 years, about 50 years, get my maths right, about 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, about 15 years after the Romans came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. The physical temple building was completely destroyed. Around about the time that John's writing, 85 AD, about 15 years after that, people are trying to make sense of this event. What does it mean for the temple to be destroyed? See how much more John is pointing beyond the existence of the temple building to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, John Disciple also wrote what we have as the book of Revelation. Revelation also points beyond a physical temple building, even further to a new heaven and new earth that Jesus brings. I'm going to read for us quite a few verses here from Revelation 21 and keep the wedding celebration in the back of our mind and keep Jesus smashing the temple in the back of our mind as we start in verse 1, Revelation chapter 21. This is what John saw in his vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's a wedding going on here. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling, the dwelling, the tabernacling, the the tent of meeting, the, the, the templing, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them forever. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, which is Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Life that is good, life that goes on forever, life that starts now. He who comes, overcomes, will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is a second death, not life. Verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues come and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper 
clear as crystal. Over to verse 22. As he looks at the holy city, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city. There was no temple. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. A domesticated Jesus, a trimmed down, massaged, contained, bobble-headed Jesus will help me feel a little bit better about myself. Will give me some good morals to live by in life. But the monumental Jesus shows me eternity. Shows me the heavenly banquet with God. The monumental Jesus shows us the new heavens, the the, the new earth. The monumental Jesus invites us to have a seat at the table to meet with God, to dwell with God. Now, for many of us, this is not new news. It's old news. We've read it before. We've heard it before. We've reflected on it before. It's old news, but do not let that diminish how good this news is. You see, with Jesus, our existence is projected into eternity. Our faith in Jesus, our worship of Jesus, our service of Jesus and His people, it is all projected into eternity with Jesus so that we might be captivated now with who He is that we might be inspired with Jesus 24-7, that every moment of our life might be shaped by Him. This is the life that John wants us to have. Life that knows Jesus. Life that's shaped by Jesus. Life that's inspired by Jesus. Not just a life that has a bobble-headed novelty mascot. For some who might be here this morning, this really is new news. What you are hearing about Jesus might be new for you. Perhaps you've heard a little bit about Jesus before and perhaps for you, you might have a kind of bobble-headed novelty view of Jesus. Someone who's a bit of a figure in history. Someone who might be a little bit cute. But at the end of the day, so domestic. Uh, You are surrounded today, every single one of us here today, are surrounded by people uh, who have come to know and believe 
in Jesus who is so much more. More than we could ever hope or imagine. There are so many people around this room who have come to know this Jesus and come to know the life that John writes about. If you're someone here this morning for whom this is new news, can I encourage you and give you permission on behalf of everybody else here to ask other people about what changed their view about Jesus? How over the years has their view of Jesus expanded and excited them? How has their view of Jesus come to captivate them and inspire them and shape the whole of their life? Can I encourage and invite you to keep reading along in John's Gospel? You'll see in Vital Info there a, a link through to a resource that will be helping us read John's Gospel for ourselves, the Word, one-to-one. There you can buy some booklets that help you do it or you can download them for free to print out or read on your eye thingies. This resource is helpful in meeting with somebody else, Christian or not yet Christian, to, to, to be investigating who Jesus is in John's Gospel. Keep reading along in John's Gospel, whether it is new news or old news, may it always be big news. Because John tells us that he has written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Will you leave behind the old and come into this new life with Jesus?